September 19, 2010, First Church and Parish in Dedham, the Reverend Raleigh Weaver, Cultivating Your True Nature. I was tempted to read the Mary Oliver poem titled Wild Geese this morning. You know the one that's in our hymnal that begins with, You do not have to be good. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. If you aren't familiar with it, I hope you will look it up and read the whole thing. I didn't, however, read more of it today because I wanted to urge us to something more. I want us to recognize that intellectually affirming and promoting the inherent worth and dignity of others is not the entire story, and that while the individual quest to live our own best life is a good place to start, it isn't a complete journey. As some of you know, I serve on the board for the Chickering Foundation, which is a charitable group that disperses charitable gifts that come from an endowment that was formed after the closing of the Chickering Home in Dedham. As with many charitable organizations, it would be quite easy to read the reports that come from the institutions we contribute to and sit at the meetings twice a year and enjoy the good food and the camaraderie and be done with it. I could, in other words, just love what I love and let my commitment end there. It is, after all, an effort to get to those meetings even just twice per year. They aren't always on the most convenient day. As board members, we are also required to visit and report on one of the agencies we contribute to. For my part, I have visited three programs in the greater Boston area over the past year. Last year, I even hosted the spring meeting of the board at the Parsonage. So I have done my part. I have honored my commitment. I confess that I am so drawn to that poem I referred to by Mary Oliver because it lets me off the hook. Life goes on. We can do our best and trust nature to take its course. And yet, because I know the golden rule by heart and I have learned a bit about Hannah Chickering, I am certain there is more to life than that. Hannah Chickering, who was born in 1817, was a native of Dedham who volunteered her time as a visitor and librarian to the women in the Dedham prison, which was just around the corner. Her work as a volunteer inspired her vision of a home that would, and I quote, provide shelter, instruction, and employment for such women as have been discharged from the correction institutions of the state and who with a desire to reform have no home but the abode of vice and misery. With the support of her family and as a result of her tireless efforts, the Temporary Asylum for Discharged Female Prisoners was incorporated on April 30, 1864. The Chickering House was built in that same year to accommodate and educate the women who were discharged from the Dedham Prison. In conti it continued in operation until 1946, when, after changes in state support, the Chickering House had to be closed. Now, 131 years since Hannah Chickering's death, the income from the endowment offers disbursements to establish charitable programs that work with at-risk populations in the greater Boston area. Two of the programs I visited that I found myself most drawn to included 
The On the Rise program in Cambridge, which helps over 300 women each year by offering a daytime safe haven for homeless women. And the domestic violence shelters in Boston that work with Horizons for Homeless Children to improve the lives of homeless children and their families through place-based programs and community children's centers. Thinking about Hannah's example, albeit a bit backwardly, and how her dedication informed her philanthropy, I hope to volunteer in one of the play spaces at one of the shelters we contribute to, allowing my dabbling philanthropy to inform my volunteer work. To that end, on Saturday I attended an all-day training as preparation to serve two hours per week with children who live in shelters. I share all this with you to to illustrate the step in cultivating our best selves that I want to talk about today. The one where we take our skills and abilities and share them with others. For Hannah Chickering and many women and men in the 1800s, the call to live an honorable and dignified life was synonymous with living a Christian life. All types of faith have served as a beacon toward greater service and hands-on commitment to a cause for countless generations. But what does our faith drive us to today? What does it mean to live a dignified life? One step in the process of cultivating our true nature is sharing it with others. And it does indeed begin with starting with our sense of I. What can I manage? What is my responsibility? What will give me the most joy? These are important questions that do help to define who we and where and what we can do to be of service. But I believe that for too long in our culture, this is as far as our commitment has taken us. If we stay focused on our own needs exclusively and for too long, we are in danger of creating what Denise Lebertov called an arrogantly anthropocentric view of life. To get out of this dangerous rut, we need to engage with others. Have you ever heard the story of the Buddha and the mustard seed? I'll tell it to you. The Buddha is passing through Dedham, and an old woman comes to him. She has outlived all of her relatives and friends, and she is lonely and grieving. Approaching the Buddha with reverence, she begs him to take away her sadness. He considers her request and tells her that if she will go into the town and find just one person who does not have the trouble the size of a mustard seed, the next time he is in town, he will most certainly take away her grief. Understanding that there is no quick cure for sadness, the woman agrees and begins her quest. On the first day, she discovers a family who cannot pay their bills and spends the entire day teaching them about budgeting and saving money. On the second day, she goes to the home of a grandfather whose children are all grown and live far away in exotic places such as Egypt and Timbuktu. He is too old to visit them and they are too happy to visit him and so the old woman teaches the grandfather how to use Skype and Facebook and realizing again that this old man has grief as large as her own, she continues on her search. Every day she finds a new story, a family whose washing machine is broken an orphan child, a garden that needs tending, and a fence that needs repair. She finds many needs and cultivates 
many skills that she can use to help. Two months later, the Buddha returns to Dedham, and he calls to the old woman and invites her to an audience with him. But she sends a note back saying, she is too busy, there are too many people who need her help. The moral of the story is, of course, that doing for others is as much for us as it is for them. Cultivating our gifts with something or someone outside of ourself is the path to making the world a better place for all. Have you ever found yourself walking in town and picking up litter when your own house or car is so full of trash that you have difficulty dealing with it? Or have you found yourself helping someone else to clean out a closet or balance their checkbook or just about anything that you yourself need help to do? Just as go doing for ourselves can be the starting point for helping others, so can offering help to others be an equally good starting place for cultivating our best self. In his book, A Matter of Dignity, Changing the World of the Disabled, Andrew Paddock, who lives with the degenerative eye disease called retinitis pigmentosa, explores ideas of wholeness and beauty and normalcy in our culture through interviews with 13 disability activists. In this context, dignity and cultivating our best self relies on perceptions, both of others and our own. He also points out that that the support we all need to survive, the friend who watches us to keep us from going over the waterfall, and the voices that call us back to shore. Yesterday in the training I received on homelessness, I was faced with some startling numbers. Do you know that the average age of a homeless person in the United States today is nine? Nine years old is the average age, and that means that more than half of the homeless people in the United States are children and those children have very few voices calling them back to shore. I believe that Massachusetts is the only state in America that has state funded, a state-funded shelter system. At any given time, 4,000 families with children are living in motels and shelters within our state. This is why Horizons for the Homeless has developed these play spaces to supply the opportunity for children who are in transitional housing with their right to play. The average wait for a family who becomes homeless in our state to go from adequate housing to homeless is two years. This is in part because every penny of savings, every last asset must be gone before a family qualifies for shelter. Now imagine those children growing up in a time of significant diminishing resources and transitory housing how much access do you think they have to toys and art activities and playgrounds? Play is a big part of how every human being cultivates their true nature. Trying out new ways of being, checking out how they feel, and changing or coming back to what is familiar are all parts of the dance of transformation and growth. Who we are should not be defined by the family we were born into, or the color of our skin, or the job that we hold, or the age that we are, or the situation we find ourselves in. Our true nature may be obstructed but can never be marred by the roller coaster of life, 
or limited by any one person's beliefs or expectations. The cultivation of our true nature and our best selves requires the cultivation of dignity and justice for all, not out of some sense of atonement, as Yom Kippur would suggest, but out of an inherent understanding of the goodwill in all. The reason I believe it is so difficult to fully commit in large groups and institutions to this cause is because we are a step removed from the real needs of others and focused only on loving what we already do. To truly engage, we need to leave our comfort zones and engage in real work. I believe that charitable institutions such as the, this church and the Chickering Foundation are in danger of becoming staid and boring if a vital cause beyond the perpetuation of self is not soon identified. In the same way, our own lives become staid and boring when we do not stretch to articulate our sense of self in new and different venues throughout our long lives. Cultivation, by definition, requires tending and preparation. What do you need to do to tend and prepare your own nature? For my part, I don't expect to change the entire commitment of the Chickering Foundation or any of you by volunteering two hours of my time each week to play with children at a shelter in Boston. What I do believe it will do is cultivate my own personal commitment. It will, I hope, in Bob Dylan's words, shore up my foundation when the winds of change shift. And in a nutshell, this is what I'm suggesting to you today to cultivate your true sense of self. Deepen your involvement in life. Take what you have. Think of new and interesting ways to use it. Dedicate your best self to the effort and see where it takes you.